Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. And the talk you're about to hear is from our current message series, Is Like... Ancient Parables for a Modern Faith. So let's get straight into it. Hey, I've been really loving the parable series. Have you guys? It's been cool to go deeper, like really deep into them. And I'm biased, but the first one was amazing, you know, on planting the seeds. And we had a really good discussion in our house group that week, um, actually on the seeds that God might be calling us to plant in faith. Um, which was really cool. I've mentioned it now, SVC together. I can move on. (laughs) And last week, Vic, talking about the kingdom of God is like a treasure. What a privilege it is to be a part of it. Hey, it's really cool. And I'm excited because I get to speak about my absolute favorite parable. And in fact, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible this morning, which is Luke 15. And it's about three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. So good. So excited. Has anyone ever been really lost before? Anybody? Yeah? I can see no men's hands up. (laughs) No, there we go. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Now, when I was 12, we travelled to London, my parents and I, and um, we were in the underground, and it's I don't know if you've been to London, but the underground is absolutely packed when they're waiting for a train. Probably something a little girl from New Zealand had never quite experienced before. And as the train pulled in and the crowd surged forward, I lost my parents. Um, And I pushed through to the train. I had this split-second decision at at the door of the train. Do I get on or do I stay off? Because I didn't know whether my parents had gotten on or stayed off waiting for me. I decided to stay off. And as the doors closed and the train pulled away, I saw them in the carriage frantically looking for me. And I, you know, I probably screamed, I think, at that point in fear. Now, the interesting thing about the London Underground is even though it's really busy when you're waiting for a train, it's empty when the train's gone. I was standing there, I'm not even lying, there was me and there was a man in a dark corner with a brown paper bag. That was it. (laughs) And I felt terribly lost terribly lost. But do you know what I also remember? I remember the joy of seeing my parents. It took them quite a long time to get back. I remember the joy of them coming down those stairs and just running, running, running to them. Phew, I had been found. And you know, these parables are about, these three parables about lost things, yes. But there's so much more about the joy of being found about God's joy when he finds us and our joy. And um, we can see them as pictures of our lives, can't we, before we found Christ and a picture of other people's lives and um, the joy of coming home to God. So if you've got your Bibles and you'd like to, you can turn into Luke 15. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law about these lost things. And we're going to start with the lost sheep in verse 4. There he is. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. 
would you not leave the 99 in the open country and go after that lost sheep until you find it? And when you find it, joyfully put it on his shoulders and go home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. So we live in New Zealand, so we know about sheep, right? Do we know about sheep? No. (laughs) I think we still actually have the most sheep per capita in the world, New Zealand. And I picture this sheep munching away, just focusing on what's in front of it, following that grass trail. All it's caring about is just the grass. And then it looks up one day, and it's wandered its way away from the shepherd, and it's wandered its way away from all the other sheep. And sheep just have a tendency to do that. And isn't it interesting how often we are compared to sheep in the Bible? That's why we need a shepherd. I don't know if you can identify with that picture. Just going along with life and then the pressures of the world, the distractions of the world, perhaps it's just the job is stressful, perhaps there's a relationship that comes into your world, Um, perhaps it's the busyness of family, but you look up one day and you're in a place that you never intended to, to end up, isolated, maybe isolated from God, isolated from church, isolated from people who love and care for you. And I love the response of the shepherd because Jesus says in verse 4, in one translation, he says, wouldn't you therefore go out after the lost one until you find it? Well, what's the real answer? What's the answer you'd give if it wasn't Jesus that was asking? (laughs) You know, I'm not a sheep farmer, but who in their right mind would actually leave 99 sheep to go after the one where in this context there were wolves? There wasn't necessarily someone to keep the other 99 together. You might come back with that one, and all 99 might have wandered off. Like, hello, what in our human economy, the risk analysis. Some of you might work in risk analysis, you know? Like, Jesus says, wouldn't you? Maybe he should have said, would you? But no, he says, wouldn't you? Who would do this? And of course, Jesus is saying how profoundly he views the one. The one is worth searching for. The one is worth fighting for. The one is worth a great celebration when he or she is found. And the kingdom of God is a place where everyone is valued, not because they're special, not because we're good, not because we're deserving, but because we belong. It's like when you do a puzzle and you get to the end and there's a missing piece. It's just not right. And do you know what? Our family is not right without that missing sheep. Just like that puzzle is not right with one person lost, Jesus is saying the one is so precious, the one is so important. And I love how there's no condemnation for that sheep. The shepherd joyfully puts it on his shoulders and carries it home. Doesn't tell it off. Joyfully puts it on his shoulders and carries it home. Maybe you can identify with that picture in your life. Maybe there was a time you became distracted and wandered away and you ended up in a place where you never meant to end up. And you know, because you can remember how the extravagant love of God picked you up, put you on his shoulders and carried you home. Perhaps you know some lost sheep. Perhaps you've seen them get distracted by a relationship or get distracted by work or something else and, and they've just wandered. How... Are you seeing them today? Because sometimes it can be a, 
with a bit of judgment, like, well, they should have known better. Or even with a bit of hopelessness, oh, they're never going to come back. How about we view them with this compassionate, extravagant love of God? Because the kingdom of God is like an intimate pursuit. The shepherd goes after the one. So that's the lost sheep. And the next story sounds a little bit similar. It switches focus a little bit slightly, and it's the lost coin. Happens in verse 8. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. So we've gone from 99 out of 100 to down to 9 to 10 in this one. And the bent here, I, I kind of, the way I look at it is, if the sheep was lost because of distraction, I think this, the coin could be seen as, as a picture of people who are lost due to the carelessness or mishandling of their lives by other people. And I'm not saying that God in any way did that, but we all know people, I think of those people, and maybe you are one of them, who who you had lost by the carelessness of other people. Perhaps it was just that you never got taught about God, but perhaps it was more. Perhaps you never believed God could love you because you'd experienced so much abandonment or rejection. Perhaps you never thought you were good enough for God because you'd been in a situation of trauma or abuse. The coin was lost by someone. And the response of the woman is very strange to us again. Because just as the shepherd seems crazy, the woman stops her whole life. And I was just thinking, like, imagine if we went to our neighbour, if we stopped our whole life, found the coin, went to our neighbour and said, come and have a party, I found my $2 coin. You know, you'd, you'd think they were mad. She stops her whole life and then she has a party. And of course, the impact of this parable can be lost to us today because our greatest value of a coin is $2. And what I found was fascinating when I researched this is scholars really disagree on the value of this coin. Some say, oh, it would have only been worth 10 cents. Some say, the other extreme, it might have been worth about 1,400 New Zealand dollars. They can't agree. What they do say is that it was probably part of a woman's headdress Um, which would have been part of her dowry, part of her inheritance. So no matter the value of it, incredibly precious. And I was thinking how cool that is, because isn't that so true of God? Other people might say we're worth five cents. Other people might say we're worth $1,400. It doesn't matter what they say. It's that God shows us value. To God, we are incredibly precious. It doesn't actually matter what the scholars think, does it? We know that God knows that we're precious. I was also thinking how the coin is stamped with the image of a ruler and how we are stamped with the image of God and even when we are lost, that image is still there. And I was thinking about how a coin is valuable even when it's lost. It doesn't lose its value. You know, isn't that so precious when we hear about the story of the lost coin? So I think about people in pain and how the love of God finds us and begins a healing process in us, and sets us back where we belong. You know, perhaps there are some people in your world like that right now, who smile on the outside, but have a lot of pain on the inside. They might feel worthless, they might feel broken. They might feel like they've been put in a dark corner and forgotten about. 
And they're often the people whose behaviours, it's, it's reasonably easy to judge because they're working out of pain. So I just want to remind us this morning from the lost coin is that God places extraordinary value on that lost coin. They're still marked with the image of God and they still have the value of God. And the kingdom of God is an intimate pursuit of these people. And we know that intimate pursuit, don't we? Because God's done that for us. We can outwork that revelation to others. Is that cool? Lost coin. Awesome, eh? I'm going to move on to the lost son because it's my absolute favourite and I want to spend the longest time on it. Um, The lost son. It's a little different to the sheep and the coin because the sheep and the coin didn't know they were lost until they were found. But the son, he determined to go out and get lost, walking away from the father. And it's often called the parable of the prodigal son. And I'm going to put a painting, a very famous painting up of um, Rembrandt's The Prodigal Son. Um, I've heard this and I agree. It could more likely be called the parable of the loving father because it's so much more about the loving father than the sinfulness of the son. And even in the painting, you know, it's more about the father, isn't it, when you look at that? It emphasizes the father's grace and compassion and love so much more. <laughs> cool. So I'm just going to paint this picture because once again with the coin and the sheep, it's similar with the sun. We can, lose the, we can lose the impact without the context. So I want you to imagine being the sun, asking your father for your inheritance and seeing the blood drain from his face because to do that in your culture is like saying, I'm sick of you, I'm sick of my family, I don't want to be under your authority and ultimately I wish you were dead. But you have a very gracious father, so he agrees, and off you go. You leave with your pockets full of money you didn't earn, which is only there with the generosity of your father. And in a distant land, you spend your money, and you find out what it's like to have a good time. But one day, you put your hand in your pocket, and there is no money there. The money has run out. And then a famine hits. There were 10 famines in the century in which you lived. The grass that you thought was greener has suddenly dried up. That's all right. You'll turn to your friends. They're good friends. You turn to your friends, but you find out that they're only fair-weather friends. They don't want to know you now. You don't have hold the keys to the party and hold the keys to the money. You find yourself a stranger in a strange land. You're really hungry. Maybe you could go home. You could never go home. You've hurt your father way too much to ever go home. He would never accept you back. In fact, as a Jew, you're aware of the cost of going back. In your culture, if you waste your inheritance among the Gentiles and then dare to return home, the villagers can cut you off forever in a ceremony called the Ketzatza where they break a jar in front of you, symbolically portraying that you, the symbolically portraying and officially proclaiming a separation between you and the village. But you're desperate. You're so desperate. You're so hungry. So you do something a Jew would never do. You work with the pigs. And as you're working with the pigs, you're so hungry. You look at the pods and you think, I wish I was a pig so that I could eat these pods. You have an idea. You could go back to your father 
and you could ask him to be a hired hand. Not a son, never a son anymore, not even a slave, a hired hand. A hired hand doesn't get to live at the home. A hired hand isn't part of the family. Maybe he would take you back as a hired hand. It's worth the risk, and so you decide to return. I want to put yourself in the shoes of the father. Your son has wished you dead and broken your heart. Yet in costly pain, you have given him his freedom and let him go. And for years, you've waited every day since he left. Heartbroken. You know if your son ever returns, you have to get him first, before the ketsatsa, before the cutting off. And by every right, you should reject him and shame him too. If he returns, you're going to get there first before anyone else. So you watch and you wait. And one day, when your son is a long way off, you see him. You must reach him before the villagers. And so you run, your heart pounding. Middle Eastern men do not run. Middle Eastern men wear robes to the ground. And to run is shameful. It means you must lift up your robe, exposing your legs in full view of the village. It's a despicable, shameful, humiliating thing to do, and yet you run. He's in rags, and you can almost smell him. By rights, he should fall to your feet, kiss your feet. But this is love. You run to him, you hug him, you kiss him. Your son speaks, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But in the face of your love, his prepared speech changes. He suddenly has an awareness, a sudden sadness of the breaking of relationship. And you act. It's not time for cutting off. It's time for the family ring. It's time for a robe. It's time for sandals. It's time for a party. The ring and the sandals are signs of sonship. The robe is a sign that you have welcomed him back into the family. The party is a sign that the whole village must know that you have forgiven your son. You know, the father totally wipes the slate clean, and it's a powerful, powerful story of God's intimate pursuit of us when we, when we choose to walk away. I love it because I was a prodigal daughter, and I wanted to come back to God for a long time, but I never believed I would get this response. I knew Because I knew what I was doing, because I knew that I was walking away from God, I honestly thought I was going to get an angry response. How could God take us back when we'd hurt him so much? And yet he does. Now, there's some great aspects to highlight about God in this, about the Father in this parable. The Father acts despite the actions of the Son. Our culture isn't really a shame on a culture like this, but not only asking for his inheritance, even leaving home was really shameful because he was basically saying, I don't want to care for you in your old age. We have people, we leave home all the time in our culture. And yet the Father still acts despite this. What an amazing parallel for us, even when we walk away, hey? Secondly, the father doesn't only act, he initiates. The father in Palestinian culture is actually expected to sit in the house emotionally withdrawn, wait to hear what the son has to say. Man, when I was reading that, I thought, how often do we see God like that? 
this emotionally distant person that we have to come to and try and apologise to. And yet it's so different in this story. The father is the one that initiates. The son doesn't even get a chance to apologise before the father's running. And thirdly, the father responds in grace. Firstly, the father runs. But secondly, when the son does apologise, he doesn't even really give him a chance to apologise before he's like, no, no, quick, here, have the ring, have the robe, have the shoes. He's so excited that the son is home. It goes against, I think it goes against, if we're not careful, everything we can sometimes construct God to be. Perhaps you are a lost son or daughter, and you can testify today of that unfailing grace and love when you returned. Perhaps there's a prodigal in your world today. Maybe it's your literal son or daughter. Maybe it's your mother or father, your sister or brother. Let's be reminded of God's intimate pursuit of them. Let's be encouraged by it. Let's be encouraged to continue to pray for them and continue to love them out of that revelation of God's love. You know, the Pharisees hated this. They would have hated this story. And Jesus addresses this when he talks about the older son who becomes angry with the way the younger son's been treated, welcomed back, and he refuses to join the party. He's basically saying, I've done everything right. I've been in church every day of my life. I've never walked away from you, and I don't get the party. I don't get this and that. And once again, the father shows grace and love to the older son. He says, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and to us, years of work for God was never the basis of our acceptance. It was never the basis of our honour. It was never the basis of our inclusion. We don't need to do anything to get that. Jesus has done it all. So in these three parables, God presents his radical love for us. How he comes to us and pursues us. He searches for us. He invites us into his kingdom. And as we close, I just want to leave you with two thoughts. Let's remember how much we are loved. I don't know whether you identify with the lost coin, with the lost sheep, with the lost son or daughter, or with the older son or daughter. But let's remember how much we are loved. Because it's only out of that revelation that we can love others. You know, our church statement, love God and love others, We can only love others when we really know the extravagant love of God for ourselves. I I just want you to think and remember God's intimate pursuit of you when you were that lost coin or that lost sheep, that lost son, that lost daughter, that older son, that older daughter. And let's remember those in our worlds and how much they are loved by God. You might even be able to think right now of a lost sheep, lost coin, or lost prodigal, a lost son. Let's, let's get the revelation of how much God loves us, helping us to pray for them. Not out of sense of obligation, but out of sense of extravagant love. Let's let that revelation of God's love for us help us to act towards them. Not out of sense of obligation, but out of a sense of love. You know, we, even when we don't want 
Christ, he still pursues us. And that came out so beautifully in that song we sang this morning. So the lost coin, the lost son, and the lost sheep. You know, today's a reasonably emotive message, and I don't apologize for that at all, because it is the extravagant love of God, and it's about people. And it's about people that we were, and it's about people that we know. And it's important. It's really important. And so as I close this morning, Vic and I were talking about how this message could lend itself just really well to us standing together and supporting each other in ministry time. And and I'd really want to invite you to come up for two things. Firstly, if this love of God I'm talking about has always been difficult for you to appreciate, understand, sense, feel, get from your heart to your head, if you need another revelation of God's love for you, perhaps you've had it in the past, but it's lost because of disappointment or discouragement or circumstances, I'd love it if if you could come forward and we could pray for you. And secondly, if you've got a lost coin or a lost sheep or a lost son or daughter in your life and you are standing for them in faith and praying for them and loving them, I'd love it if you would come forward and we want to stand with you because it can be a long, hard road. And my heart goes out to those people. And um, I just think it'd be really cool if you could come forward too and just be prayed for and gain some encouragement and have someone join with you in that. So that's what we're going to do. Vic, I forgot to ask the band to come up. <laughs> yeah, I was going to do that. Um, but I'm going to sign off here and I'd love to pray for you if that's you. And um, please do come. Please be bold. Love you guys. Thank you. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.